Payne next on the T Nation. Thanks for tuning into this segment of the show featuring our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. And thank you so much for your continued support. The show is currently ranked number three in the podcast magazine Hot 50 list. We've been number two in June and July, now number three in August and September. We certainly appreciate your vote. You can do so daily by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. You guys have been fantastic. This is your show and you're certainly showing that by your votes. Thank you so very much. Y'all are fantastic. Enjoy this segment. I also want to remind you about our friends over at TaylorMade. Golf is an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made their all-new Stealth Irons. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a catback design and a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance through the bag and more forgiveness on those occasional, or you know, not so occasional, less than perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade, Beyond Driven. Okay, now back with me, just like he is every other week, is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tom will soon be making the transition back to his home base in Naples, Florida. So if you want the best in the game to help you with your golf swing, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your swing through that app. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget, subscribe to his YouTube channel, folks, where you can watch over 300 free video lessons. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board, and it's always great when he's back with me here on Next on the T. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Pretty boy. What's up, my <laughs> man? <laughs> how are you, TP? How's things going? This year, I'm sitting on the front porch at the Pinecrest Inn, opened in 1913 and later purchased by the great Donald Ross, who owned it for quite a while a real historical place in Pinehurst, North Carolina, down here with uh, six members and another professional from Farmington playing a little golf, playing at mid-pines, playing pine needles, mid-pines, and southern pines, and I'm doing just fine. No doubt you are. Pine needles? Wow, good for you, my friend. Really beautiful, just beautiful. Tom, I, I read that the last time you were down there around Pinehurst, you're, you were 11 years old. And you also had an interaction with Julius Boros. Tell us that story. Well, it wasn't my last. It wasn't my last time down here, but it was my first time. Uh, a family friend who actually influenced me to play golf. Uh, he was a dentist and a family friend. Put me in a Jeep Woody and drove me from New York on my first golf trip, and we stayed at Mid Pines. And I was, you know, 11 years old. I was, I was pumped, and uh, I had this nice home putter that you'd see in like kind of a cheap rental set. And I thought it was the greatest putter in the world. And this, this Senator family decided they needed to really, you know, to have a really legitimate putter. And I, I couldn't believe he was bashing my putter, my chrome putter. So he took me into the golf shop and the golf professional there was a good friend of his, introduced me to him and had no clue, you know, just no clue. And he took me out and he introduced me to a ping answer putter, which in 1972 was the rage. 1972, some of, your, some of your younger listeners are probably going, how old is this guy, a thousand? <laughs> and anyway, took me, took, me, took me to the putting room, gave me a little putting lesson, cut it down to my size at the time, and it's the same putter I used, Chris, from that day through um, winning my NCAA, all my junior tournaments, all my amateur tournaments, 
my NCAA and played with it uh, three years ago. It's still at the house. It's it's like a it's a relic, but it's like my best friend in the world just about. And the man who gave me that putter and influenced me that day and gave me that lesson was a fellow named Julius Boros, two-time U.S. Open champion. And I didn't realize that to probably 15 years later um, and never got to meet him after that. But uh, I, I walked through the doors at Mid-Pines uh, day before yesterday, and his pictures on many walls and halls in, in the, uh, the old inn. And it was, it was a great memory, actually, just a super memory, yeah. No doubt it is. Tom, as you know, I've been blessed to have Tom Purser on the show several times over the last couple of years, including following you on uh, a number of those shows. But during his time on tour, people around the game said he had the prettiest swing that they had ever seen. We've we've heard the same thing more recently about players like Adam Scott, and then in the past about Tom Weisskopf, Sam Snead, Ben Hogan. In an era where people are saying, swing your swing, who would be someone that you would want a young player that came to you for lessons to emulate? Who's got the pretty swing that you wish, well, I'd sure like to see people swing like that? Well, first, Chris, in my teaching, I don't think you should swing like anybody but yourself, and you've got to be the best version of yourself. Um, but in terms of pretty golf swings, I, I was blessed twice to caddy for Sam Snead, my junior and senior in high school in two charity events, and that was certainly a a treat, and the man was an absolute artist and, and just spectacular rhythm and balance. And it was, uh, uh, with, with the exception of the fact that he didn't pay me, um, because he was so damn cheap, it was, <laughs> I, I would have done, I, I would have done it five more times for the same amount of money, uh, 500 more times. It was just an incredible learning experience. But, you know, we've been blessed with so many wonderful things to look at. And you think about rhythm and timing, you certainly think about couples and you think about Sam and, even Don January had a really long golf swing. He was a beautiful rhythm player. Um, Weisskopf, as you mentioned, um, was a beautiful rhythm player. V- VJ was a beautiful rhythm player. Still is. Um, God, obviously, is, is gorgeous to look at. But going back to your original question, I, I don't like people to emulate um, poor players. It, it's an impossible dream. You know, people say all the time, I like to swing like Freddie. And it's, well, you don't have Freddie's hand-eye coordination or his balance or, or his speed. Um, the sky speed, if you will. Um, so you got to be the best version of yourself. Tom, on the opposite side of that coin, when we do swing our swing, and maybe we have an unconventional one like Jim Furyk or a, or a Matthew Wolf, when a swing like that starts to go south, how do you get it back on track? Well, as, as a teacher, Chris, one of the things I always do when I, as I start with people, I, I as you know, I use D1 all the time, and I catalog and save a lot of swings uh, of my players. And I, 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 don't really, I don't really film my players when they're not at their best. I always try to film them and get them on film when they're at their best. So I catalog, uh, you know, whether it's a corn fairy player or it's a really good junior player or a college player I'm working with, I always have stored film of when they're playing their best. So when they're off, I can side-by-side side that film with the film of when they're off. And we look for differences. And usually the answer is right there and the proof's in the pudding. So I think any good teacher, you know, and I learned that from guys that, that I learned, I learned this from Mr. Flick and, and Bill Strassbahn and various other people that influenced me, um, Jimmy McLean certainly, and Mike Kevin, who are both, are both video buffs, uh, that I should, I should record things of my players when they're playing their best. Tom, switching gears, and 
We're coming off the BMW Championship over there at the DP World Tour. And Sergio Garcia withdrew after the first round, shot 76 in that first round. The tournament got paused uh, due to the passing of Queen Elizabeth. But he, he leaves after Thursday's round. The next time we see him is Saturday on the sidelines of the Texas-Alabama game. <laughs> what do you make of Sergio um, bolting from the DP World Tour to go over to be at a college football game? Uh, I would have liked to have been at that game, too. But my question to you, Chris, is, is if Sergio shot 65 the first round, would he, would he have withdrawn? Um, probably not. <laughs> Um, our friend Mr. Garcia continues to put uh, his foot either in his mouth or his ass, whatever you choose to choose to put uh, <laughs> an orifice you choose. But it's just incredible that you know the guy is just seems like he's just digging the hole deeper and deeper. He he doesn't seem to do the right thing very often lately, um, and, and, and it's sad because he's just an amazing talent and, and uh, a guy who's played so much great golf and. and and, and has entertained us for a long time. Uh, to, you know, the, the shenanigans and things like this that he pulls on a regular occasion, the things that come out of his mouth are just mind-boggling. I um, uh, hope you enjoyed the game. I'm sure you had great tickets. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jealous that I wasn't there myself. <laughs> you know, if Sergio had withdrawn prior to the tournament, one of the alternates, right, could have gotten into the event. And in this Correct. case, one of those alternates was a close friend of John Rahm, who now has this situation. He took it very personally that Sergio didn't leave earlier and give an opportunity, not only to somebody else, but somebody else who was a close friend. Could Sergio have taken this sort of thing out on, you know, could it have been calculated? To your point, if he shoots 65, maybe things go differently. But we know he's, to your, to your other point, he struggled with the PGA Tour recently. We saw that frustration boil over at an official. We right. we know he also has had issues with the World DP Tour as well. Could this have been an opportunity for him to really stick it to both tours by leaving and by leaving after the first round, preventing other guys from getting their opportunity to play? Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to, you know, first to, first to surmise that there's a conspiracy theory that's calculated um, without really knowing the truth is, would be short-sighted on our parts. And I would certainly not want to stoop to surge over certain comments or assumptions, but certainly not a class to move in. And the fact that John Ron took it personally, I think a lot of guys took it personally because, you know, there's so many hard feelings out there right now between players on, on both tours, on all three tours right now, DP, PGA, and Live. Um, you know, there's a lot of tension out there and, and uh, whether, John Rom takes it personally not the fact that Sergio took a spot away from somebody who needed the spot or could have used the spot to advance their career in itself is is, is awful. Uh just awful. So um and then and then when you get somebody like John Rom who has a personal friend, it becomes even more personal. Hence tensions are already high. I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of guys out there who are not fond of each other right now for various reasons and, and what what's going on in the world of golf right now. This just this is just another thing that throws more gas on the fire. Didn't you have an opportunity to play with Sergio once back at uh, Westchester? I did. I did. Uh, his first year turned professional. He played in the Beale Classic at Westchester, and on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, I got to play nine holes with him uh, at Westchester late in the day with him and his dad. Actually, 
Um, and he, you know, he was a youngster and, and couldn't have been any nicer. Couldn't have been any, uh, and I, I, I'll paraphrase and use the word innocent at the time, happy go lucky and just, just happy to be out there playing. My, how things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Tom, I want to get your thoughts on Scotty Scheffler being named PGA Tour Player of the Year. Won four times this past season, including his first major at the Masters. Finished second four more times and 11 top tens and 25 starts. Was it a no-brainer that he was going to be Player of the Year? Or is there an argument to be had for Cam Smith with his wins at the Open Championship, the Players' Championship, and the Tournament of Champions early this year? Arguably the three best fields in golf for this season. Was it definitely, should it have been Scheffler, no doubt, or could there be an argument for Cam Smith? Well, you can certainly make an argument for Cam Smith. Um, isn't he a live player? I heard that rumor. Yeah, so, you know, that's a player's vote. That player of the year is a player's vote. Um, I'm not sure if you're talking about the Tour Award or the PGA of America Award, but the Tour Award, and the players were voting. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Cam was going to get a lot of votes. Um, <laughs> I mean, certainly Cam Smith had a wonderful year. Um, I hope he enjoys his time on the Live Tour. And I'm really happy for Scotty Shuffler. I guess that's the way I'd answer that question. Speaking of Live, Tom, Golf Magazine interviewed Xander Schauffele. And he talked about how Phil Mickelson is a mentor and a good friend. And Schauffele points out that the things that Phil said were essentially true, the changes that Phil wanted in, in the, the PGA Tour ended up making those very changes, and it's ironic that Phil's not going to reap any of those rewards, and it's also interesting where the Tour sort of magically found the money to do all of these things, oh, by the way. So, for all of the animosity that Phil has had to deal with this year, it looks like Xander is saying, I, I kind of understand it, and now we're also hearing the rumor that a top 10 player is going to be leaving the PGA Tour for live very soon. It seems like the, both of those things could align very nicely. What are your thoughts about Shoffley's comments, and could this be uh, one of the last times we see Xander out on the PGA Tour? Well, I, I think we, we've said this before, Chris, you and I both, both on the air and off the air, that uh, the thing that hurts me the most about the PGA Tour right now is that they've been reactive, not proactive. And, and certainly by being reactive, it, it's not a great optic. At all, um, uh, the rumor about top ten players is you know there's, you know, there's been talk about Cantley, there's been talk about uh, you know several of the guys, and, and Xander's been one of them. And certainly, a lot of things point to Xander, especially with the Phil relationship. My heart, I, I love watching the guy play golf here, and I I, you know, I tune in when he's in contention because I like to watch him play the game. Uh, I made it a point a couple years ago that he needs to go up to Bay Hill and watch him play and follow him for a full day. And really enjoyed watching. He's just just got a beautiful golf swing and and plays the game so beautifully. And if he goes to live, I, I probably wouldn't turn YouTube on to watch him. So that would break my heart a little bit as far as a golf fan is concerned. But listen, nothing surprises me anymore, Chris. I mean, we've seen guys go that we never thought would go, and we've seen guys go that we suspected would go, and so far every rumor has kind of played out to be true. So. You know, if, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it waddles like a duck, probably probably a duck. <laughs> you know, so uh, here we go again. Right. Tom, I want to get your thoughts on the President's Cup because everybody now is counting the international <laughs> team out. Right? They've got 
some players that you know are, are lesser known, people like Tom Kim, Cam Davis, Christian Benton-Howe, and Taylor Pendrith. But you know what? Hey, look, you show up and anything can happen on any given day, right? You know, when you start to overlook a team, no matter how much better on paper the U.S. team may look, I mean, David beats Goliath that way when you start to overlook a team. The USA beats the Soviet Union when you start to think that way. Marshall beats Notre Dame right this past week, and who would have thought that could happen? So, you know, kind of what I'm saying is, even though on paper you may say the international team is overmatched, isn't it still something you can't, you can never let another team, you know, or let your team start to get overconfident and feel like, ah, these guys don't belong on the same course with us, because that's how you end up losing. Just, uh, Dick Chap wrote a book uh, right after the for U.S. Open at Wingfoot called The Massacre at Wingfoot. This is going to be the massacre at Quail. Um, <laughs> and, and I'll take as much of your money as you want on that bet. Uh, it, Trevor Inland is probably calling, probably called Tom Patrick and Chris Mascaro to fill in for him a couple of players on that, on that team. It's going to be, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be hard to, it's going to be hard for TV announcers to keep it interesting for a couple of days on the air. Um, I, I think it's an absolute route, but you know, and, and watch me be wrong uh, again, um, as I've been so many times. But that's just my feeling. Tom, I want to get a playing lesson or two from you before I let you go. And as we start to approach fall and winter in the not too distant future, particularly for our friends up in the northern part of the country, the ground is going to start to become harder, and the lies are going to become tighter. Is there an adjustment we need to make with our wedges in particular so the leading edges don't dig as much because of that hard pan, or is the shot essentially the same? Well, the first adjustment you make is jet blue. <laughs> and they fly, they fly into Fort Myers every day, three times a day, and I'm about 15 minutes from the airport, and Crown Colony, from what I understand, my super I've been talking to, because I'm going home in a month, is in wonderful condition, and come on down and we'll play golf in some good conditions. That's the first adjustment you make. <laughs> After that, the second adjustment you make, if you can't do that, is you find an indoor facility close to you with a track and simulator and have at it. But playing golf in those conditions uh, are brutal, and there's not much you can do about, you know, Mother Nature. Um, you certainly can't hit down and compress the ball like you like to do on, on fine turf during the summer season, even spring and fall. Um, you're basically something out of luck. I won't use the word. You're, you're out of luck there. So, no, there's not a lot you can do in that condition, Chris. And I'd be lying if I told the folks out there listening right now that there was. Tom, let's get back to fundamentals and the fundamentals of alignment. You've got a great video out on that on your YouTube channel. Oftentimes, I find that if I've pulled or pushed a shot, when I look down at my feet or check out my hips or my shoulders, it's exactly where I was aimed. How can we do a better job of ingraining proper alignment into our routines? You know, Chris, I tell people all the time, if I took Christmas Carol tomorrow to a PGA Tour event or a Corn Ferry Tour event to watch me work with some of my players and we walk down the practice tee, um, we'd be hard-pressed to walk by any tour player at any level, male or female, that didn't have some kind of alignment device on the ground, thinking that they need reinforcement, optical references to get set up properly and make themselves aware of what it feels, it feels and 
feels like and visually what it looks like to be aligned properly. Uh, I, I always tell you and I always tell all my students, I think that 99% of swing elements can be traced back to the setup. And one of the fundamentals of setup is alignment. So if you're practicing without something on the ground and not reinforcing the fundamental of alignment, you're creating golf suicide. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners again how they can stay up to date with the great things you're doing and follow you on social media, on your website, and then, of course, subscribing to your YouTube channel. Chris, certainly all the regular places, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and certainly YouTube. That YouTube channel is really, really good now. We've got 300 videos there. Um, and it's hosting golf, Chris Mascaro. <laughs> I appreciate you, TP. You're the best, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you you and your wife and the family, and I look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks. Catch you soon. All right. See you, TP. That is the great Tom Patry. At TomPatry.com is the website, or I should say TomPatry.com is the website. At TomPatryGolf. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram. And again, subscribe to that YouTube channel, folks. 300 Free playing lessons are out there waiting for you. And then, obviously, you can take it with you on your phone, right? Go to go to the driving range, take Tom's lessons, put a, take a look at them on your phone, and then, you know, do the things that he's, he's, get, he's given you. Your game's going to get better for free. Why wouldn't you do it? The outstanding stuff. Look forward to catching up with Tom again in a couple of weeks.